Let's continue in our worship in the preaching of God's Word. Uh, so I want to encourage everyone that's joining us uh, at Trio Nursing Home. Uh, we're glad you're joining us. And I know Pastor Mike is over there too, I think. Right? Yes. yes. So, hi, Pastor Mike. And uh, good morning. Uh, open with me to Lamentations. Just kidding. <laughs> Matthew, open with me to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, I just wanted to see your reaction. Matthew chapter 22. You're going to read verses 34 to 40. Uh, this is Matthew writing under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so which makes it God's word for us. So as God's word always, when God's word is being proclaimed or preached, or when we hear it, do not harden your heart. And so Matthew, from verse 34, he says, But when the Pharisees heard that he, talking about Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's ask for God's help. Father, as we come to study a word, to hear from you, would you speak to us, God? Would you transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit? God, I pray that there won't be any distractions, that we would hear your word, we would understand, give us ears to hear, help us to understand, God, help me to speak clearly, speak through me, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we, we are here talking about two great loves, love for God, love for one another, love for others. Right, as I was working on this sermon, I just realized like how thankful I am to be a pastor at this church. This past Wednesday in our staff meeting, we were just recalling all the things that God has done this past year, and and I just want to thank God for His grace in our lives. I can think of so many examples. A brother who when we were having lunch together, he was telling me his story and then how he was so convicted by the Holy Spirit that he wanted to spend the rest of his life loving God with all his mind, soul, and strength. There's another brother who's a new believer. He want to spend time in in witnessing to others and non-believers and and not only that being generous with this time and resources and money and when we do the prison cli prison ministry last year he donated five books of the bibles five boxes full of bibles to the organization think of our partnership with uh, Afghani refugees and we were able to serve and host dinners for them here in this same building. Not only that, think of, think of several of our own brothers and sisters who are going through some trials and facing some hardship and loss. 
as I'm talking to them, as I'm listening to their stories, and, and I'm so amazed that everyone is trusting God. And they're trusting in His sovereign plans. They're trusting that God is faithful. And they give the examples of our small group leaders and small groups growing not only numerically, but for a little love. So I just was thinking like what Apostle Paul said to Thessalonians and Colossians that he's thanking God for their love for God and for the love for the saints. And then he's praying to God that they would increase in their love for God and love for the saints. So this is kind of, there is some things in our Christian life that we should never stop praying for or striving for. And that's, that is what we're going to look at today. This is our love for God and our love for others. So I want to encourage you with the Apostle Paul that keep doing what you're doing and do it even more. And so the big idea is to love our God passionately and others rightly, we must consider the gospel constantly. To love God, our God, passionately, to love others rightly, we must consider the gospel constantly. So the context here is that this is the Passion Week, so we are on on Tuesday, and on Friday we know Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross, and some people call this as Testing Tuesday because Jesus is being tested by Pharisees, by Herodians, by, by Sadducees, and then here again, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. And as usual, Jesus' answer amazed them, and it still amazes us. I want to remind you that what we are about to read is that Jesus, the most important person that has ever existed on this planet, is telling us that this is the greatest commandment. So, we must listen to it and obey it. Here, verse 37, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Right? The context, again, he's testing the lawyer. The lawyer, he's not, he's not a civil lawyer like we have it here. He's a lawyer of the law. So he's an expert in the law of the Moses. And this expert is asking Jesus, and Jesus is telling them, you are, in other words, when he's trying to test him, he's probably expecting that Jesus would say something like, hey, don't worry about all the Moses stuff. I'm the one. Because he wants to test Christ. And when Jesus says that you shall love the Lord with all your heart, they were in love with the law instead of loving the God who gave them the law. And Jesus says, you got it the other way around. You shall love the Lord. And because you love the Lord, you will obey the law. You can be expert in the law, but not an expert in loving the Lord. Jesus says, you shall love him. Love just itself is a crazy word. Right? It would make us do crazy things. 
pure in love. Think about all the crazy things that you've done or someone else has done for you. If you're not in love, wait for it. It will happen. But just think about it. How many things that are connected to just the word love, right? Love inspires for us the songs, the poetry, in movies, and so many things that we are connected. Even just the word that when I say I love eating ice cream, it's the way I declare my love for ice cream. <laughs> Right? I love my wife. So what I use, I love God. Everything that we desire, our affections and our things, we express through love. The word love. Jesus is saying you should love your God passionately. And for that, he says, with heart, with soul, with mind. He's actually citing here from Shema, Deuteronomy 6.5, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Not mind, but might. So what is happening here? Jesus is not changing God's word. He's just contextualizing it to the Greco-Roman world. So the Hebrews had no word for mind. So for them, heart encompasses both mind, intellectual, and emotions. For Greco-Romans, it was the other way around. For them, mind is what encompasses intellectual and the will. So Jesus is speaking to his audience, says, love your Lord with heart, soul, and mind. Heart, your emotions. Soul, with all your being. With mind, with all your intellect. That includes your will that would enable you to move and get into action. So bottom line is to love him with wholehearted devotion. You know, times people think, right, I want to, we, we got nerds, right? We, they just want to know, they just want to learn, right? but their emotions are so dry. It's like my friend calls them, they're so dull that, you know, they, it looks like they got baptized in a pickle juice. <laughs> but it's like, you know, they wanna, they, they're so interested in knowing God and everything about him, but then their emotions are so dry. Right? Even the song, that praise the Lord, you're singing it, but then you're just putting your hands in your pocket and then praise the Lord. It's like your emotions are not coming out. But then it may be your personality, but just think about it. If you're interested in sports, and your favorite team just won the game, would you be like, all right, that just happened. All right, next. <laughs> or would you actually celebrate it? Spend time with your spouse and you enjoyed that time. Would you be like, all right, what are we doing next? Or would you actually acknowledge that I enjoyed our time? See, emotions, and then what is God telling us? You gotta love Him more than you love those things. And think about the other extreme. Some people just want their devotional life, right? I'm just want, I don't wanna know. I'm good with what I know about God. I don't wanna go deeper. Just wanna have my quiet time. And I'm enthusiastic about all the things that God tells me. I just don't wanna know more. And when I ask those people that if your hobby 
hypothetically speaking, is photography, would you be content just buying a camera or would you actually want to learn how to take pictures? If your hobby is something else, right? Seems to be like most Americans love politics. Would you be interested to know more about politicians? Or would you be content, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do whatever. Or sports, how about sports? More people know all their player names than the books of the Bible. Let's not be those kind of people. Right? Let's balance. Let's want to be loving God. We want to know Him more and more. We want to study God's Word. We want to grow in our love, in our knowledge, in our affection for Him. So Jesus is saying wholehearted devotion. We might ask, like, why, would, why would you want to love him? Because he is the Lord. That you shall love the Lord. And he is your God. You love him because he is the Lord. He is your creator. He is the one who created you. Just think about this being. Yahweh. So holy and so bright that even the angels, the heavenly beings, have to close their eyes because they can't look at him. Think about all the galaxies that he weaved in, right? He created those things. You go out in the night, look at all the stars that are shining brightly. He's the one who placed them there. He expanded the heavens. He's the one who created the earth. He's the one who created the human beings. Everything that you enjoy, he did it. Would you not love him for that? What about his character? His goodness. It's all-sufficient, self-existent, unchangeable. He's kind, gentle, slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. Would you not love him for that? For who he is. Not only that, Jesus didn't stop there, right? He says, he's your God. He's not just the Lord that's up in heaven. He is your God. Jesus introduces us to this God saying he's our father. Call no one on the earth your father because you have one in the heaven. Heavenly Father. Your God. Just on the side note, for anyone that's got rubbed by the church, you know, we hear this all the time, just church, people are just a bunch of hypocrites, pastors are hypocrites. I get it. And I don't want you to make an excuse for that to be a reason for you to not love God. Because notice, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You cannot go up to him and make an excuse saying, Lord, I don't want to love you because the church is full of hypocrites. That doesn't stand. He wants to love him based on who he is. Not what the church is like. You love the Lord 
for who he is. And for Christians, you love the Lord not only because of who he is, but because he is your father. That's why you come to him. That's why you pray to him. That's why you want to know his word. Because he's your father. Then, how do we love him? Thankfully, God doesn't leave that to our own interpretation. Primary form in the Deuteronomy 6 is through our obedience. We love him through obedience. In same chapter, verse 2, says to obey his commandments all the days of, his, of your life. Then to love God means that you will teach these commandments to your children and grandchildren, verse 2 and 7. Then in verse 12, he says, remembering that God is the God of your salvation. How do you love him? You remember that he saved you. Then how do you love him? In verse 14, he says, we will forsake idolatry, which is to love him more than anything on this earth. How do you love God? You obey him. You talk about him. You remember his salvation. And you forsake idols. Not only that, New Testament teaches us that we love others because God has loved us. At least my second point is that even though the Lord didn't ask for it, Jesus in verse 39 says, A second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, the so-called Mr. Expert, not question Jesus about it, but Jesus is telling him, because the first is love the Lord, and the second is like, like similar, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because how you respond to the first, that is loving God, will determine how you respond to others. That is loving your neighbor as yourself. Why do we love them? Because they are created in God's image. James 3 talks about it. He's encouraging his readers, brothers, how can you, the same lips, bless the Lord, and then with the same lips, curse the human being that was made in God's image? Curse doesn't mean that you're just yelling bad words. Jesus tells us what it means because in, according to him, even if you think negatively about your brother, if you get angry at your brother in your mind, you've already committed murder. Put that in the context. Now think about what James is saying. If you bless the Lord with your mouth and use the same mouth to curse the human being, he's saying that's unthinkable. Let it not be so among you. So think about it. Think about the leaders that you don't like. Think about the people that rub you the wrong way. Think about the people that cut you off on the streets. Church family, let it not be so among us. Let our lips be used only to bless the Lord, not to curse a fellow human being who's made in God's image. 
then we are commanded by God to love our neighbors. Right? It's not only that they are created in God's image, but we are commanded. Let's not forget, it's a command. This is the command that Jesus uses most in the Gospel of Matthew than any other command from the Old Testament. He uses three times. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Three times. The only command that's been repeated three times. Excuse me, three times in this Gospel. Because of its importance and I guess because of its neglect and then because this is the way we demonstrate our love for our Lord based on how we have love for others. Paul says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Romans 13, chapter 13, verse 8. Then he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know why he says one word when it's a one sentence. <laughs> but for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, let's be honest. We don't, we're people, we don't like to be told what we're supposed to do, right? I mean, think of my own kids and every time I tell them, Hey, guys, kids, go clean your room. They're so eager, enthusiastic to just, yes, yes, dad. Of course we're going to do it. Love you, dad. Best dad ever. We were just waiting for your instructions to tell us what we're supposed to do. We're just going to do it. I know. I'm being sarcastic. Right? But that's we are the people who don't, even adults, we don't like to be told what are we supposed to do? But church family, we got to remember, this is how we demonstrate our love for God, by loving our neighbor. One pastor says this, when Jesus says all the laws boil down to love God and neighbor, he's saying we have not fulfilled a law by simply avoiding what the law prohibits, but we must also do and be what the law is really after, namely love. Because in, in the context when Jesus is citing this Leviticus 19, verse 18, chapter 19, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the same context, he also tells us how we're supposed to love our neighbor. And D.A. Carson, actually in the book, in the volume that we're doing the, for the love of God, uh, in our Bible reading plan, actually has lists out different things, different commands to love our neighbor based on that chapter. So he says the first one is the Israel, Israelite were commanded to care for the poor, verse 10, and be honest and not steal, verse 11, and to refrain from oppressing and abusing others, verse 13 and 15. This is all in chapter 19 of Leviticus to refuse to slander others, to refuse to take revenge and hate your brother, refuse to hate your brother in your heart. And then Carson concludes all this, God tells them, saying, because he is the Lord. So that phrase, he's the Lord, he's been repeated 15 times in this just one chapter. So he's saying, you shall not slander your brother because I'm the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself because I'm the Lord. You do this because I am the Lord. 
And then, in the New Testament, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, it's on the slide for you, it says, love is patient and kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And he says, love never fails. Love, a wholehearted love for God, and love your neighbor as yourself. This verse, love your neighbor as yourself, hit me super hard last year. Actually in the same room, sitting here talking to one of our partners, uh, refugee hope partners that whom we partner with. I was talking to Michelle and she was talking to me about all the Afghani refugees that came. And she was talking about how they were had to flee their own country without anything carrying their kids. And I was thinking about this verse, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Like, what would I have done if I was in their place? When I get sick, I take medicine. When I get hungry, go to the fridge or pantry to see what I can eat. Jesus is saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Beloved, these are the verses that, that should bring us on our knees, not only asking God for forgiveness for inability to do it, but also asking God for help. That's why don't forget the big idea. To love God passionately and others rightly, we must constantly remember the gospel. We got to consider the gospel constantly. That is our hope, that is our motivation, that is our power. Got to strive for what we love. Got some questions here just to reflect on. You don't have to write them down, but just listen. And as you prayerfully consider these questions, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal where you're lacking and are you afraid of anything? Because John tells us perfect love casts out all fear. So, when you consider loving your neighbor as yourself, think about where have I set up boundaries in my relationships? Where have I set up boundaries in my family? Where have I, have I set up any boundaries at my workplace? Why set up any boundaries against a whole group of people based on their economic status or culture or nationality or race or whatever? Have I set up any boundaries when Jesus says you should love your neighbor as yourself, which means everyone that is in my sphere of relationships, I should love them. But have I set up any boundaries? It's between you and the Lord. Because you already probably know where you've set them up. So consider these things because true religion in great part 
is a wholehearted devotion for the Lord. And because of our wholehearted devotion for the Lord, we want to obey His commandments. We want to strive. We want to fight for our relationship. We want to seek Him. We want to obey His commandments. We want to love people because He told us to and because He loves them. That we will fight for what we love. Last night, my wife and I were talking about uh, our dating time, and uh, she said her favorite memory of our relationship in the last seven, eight years is the most embarrassing story of my life, <laughs> but that's her favorite story. We take it. So when we're dating, I mean, we were pretty settled on we're going to get married. We already had our wedding date. We're not engaged yet. But we had our wedding date because Shelly's mom likes to plan. We got the date. So, and I know during our time of getting to know each other more, because most of our dating was long distance. So I had this one shot when we were spending time together to impress her because there were several other guys that were actually craving for her attention, seeking her, asking her out. And all these American boys who are so like athletic and everything, and she's athletic. And so anyways, we want, I want to impress her. And we went on a hike in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, there's, as we were hiking, I saw this uh, creek. And joining those two banks is this one the only thing we could think of is a sewage pipe. It's about this, this wide, round pipe. And we got there, and then she just like, ever ready bunny. She just left. <laughs> and then like, went on the other side. And I'm just looking at that, thinking, like, what do I do? I want to impress this girl. And should I tell her that I'm afraid? Or should I, like, what do I do? And so by, let me ask you this question by the raise of your hands. I did this in the first service and want to do it again. How many of you think the raise of your hand, I've actually crossed it and went on the other side? How many do you think? Oh, better than first. I only had three people in the first. All right, how many? I guess it's obvious. I should not ask it, I guess, but I still want to do it. How many do you think actually never made it to the other side? <laughs> so, since she's on the other side, so I wanted to walk and impress her. So I took my first step and the second step, and that was it. I fell. <laughs> and to my embarrassment, I had to hold on to that sewage pipe <laughs> and crawl back up. And the entire, I was soaking wet. It's cold, it's December. And the entire time, I didn't say a single word because I was so embarrassed. And we were just quietly driving back. <laughs> and we were, we were reflecting on it last night because she was looking at me like, should I laugh? Should I like help? What do I do? And, and I thought, like, I've lost it all. Like, I've lost my opportunity to impress this girl. 
because all these American boys who are so athletic and they just want to do things that I could never do and they just wanted to be with her. But she demonstrated her faithfulness in striving and fighting for our relationship even though I thought there was no hope. But this is where I want to bring it to a conclusion in that just think about it. she had so many distractions Again, on my side, I'm pretty hopeless <laughs> in what she desires to do. And this, she had other options. But she chose me. And in our relationship with our father, we will have so many distractions. The evil one would come and crave for your attention the world with all the things that he has to offer, our own sinful flesh, which would seek after things. How do you demonstrate your love for the Lord? Is by fighting and going your way. We know we won't be perfect, but we do demonstrate our love, like what Paul said, striving after the upward call of God. Forgetting what lies behind and I stress forward, I go to my call. You demonstrate that, your love, and not being passive, not being let go and let God, but actually working out your own salvation which God has started in you. And I want you to remember, I want you to remember that this is not that you're trying to impress God with your works right because think about this being this eternal being with all his majesty what can we have to offer to impress him he set his love upon us and that's why we show that kind of love toward him because he loved us so look at what john said you're gonna have a slide up there in first john 4 Verse 7 to 12, this is where the big idea is for us to love God passionately and others rightly, we must consider the gospel constantly. So John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. How many of you are confused so far? <laughs> the apostle of love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is a mouthful word, propitiation. What it means is that Jesus took our place. When we can do what God calls us to do, that is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He did it. And now we, by faith, can get that righteousness for ourselves. Until in heaven, where we could obey God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so he says, now, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John Owen, 
a Puritan pastor, he said this several centuries ago, he said, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on God the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. I'm going to repeat that again. This is a guy who's not soft on sin because he actually wrote a three-volume book on mortification of sin in believers. So, but this guy is saying the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on God the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. How do you know God loves you? Because while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Very rarely one would die for a righteous man, right? Perhaps for a good man one might dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still his enemies, Christ died for us. Because of his perfect righteousness, now by faith, we can obey God. We can love our neighbor because he has fulfilled on our behalf. And God's love has been poured out into our hearts so that we might love him. These poor fellows here, the lawyer, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're trying to entangle him so they can actually execute him. What they didn't know was that said in the beginning, this is the Tuesday and the Friday he gets crucified. What they didn't know is he was actually on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. We know why he got crucified. And we know he rose again. So church family, as we go into the next new year, are we going to grow in our love for God more than our love for him this past year? We going to grow in our knowledge of God more than we did last year. We going to grow in our affections for Him. We going to love our neighbor more than what we did last year. This is like one step at a time, one sleep of faith at a time, until we go to heaven where we can fully do it by the grace of God. So let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for giving us your son, Father. God, we love you. We want to grow in our love for you and for our neighbor. Please help us, God. God, circumcise our hearts and minds so we can actually love you. Help us to do it in this new year. Help us to grow in love. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.